Well, good morning. I'm going to ask uh, my wonderful servant leaders here from St. James School to help me uh, in this greeting that we do every chapel uh, when we are at uh, of the school during the week. And that is, God is good. And all the time, amen. And how are we today? We sure are. We're blessed to be in God's house and highly favored to be in the palm of God's hand. Uh, I thought it was very funny. One of our one of our choristers here was explaining to their mother. Uh, how exciting this process was going to be this morning. And she said, you have to understand, it's not like chapel. This is real church. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. Well, I I reminded a little bit as I'm speaking to you all here, I I used to uh, be packed off to Episcopal boarding camp every summer when I was a, a child. And there was a song that we would sing there to help center ourselves. And whether one is a Christian or not, you can put in different, different words. But you might remember this tune. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T. And I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. It's kind of an odd tune to start with this morning with those scripture readings. Readings like that, you remember, okay, Mother Kate, we really are in an apocalyptic religion when you see readings like that. Um, and there's really some excellent questions for us to reflect on uh, from the book of Luke and the gospel reading. It's the, the kind of scripture reading where If Jesus was there speaking at the time in the temple, you imagine the young people would have turned to each other and said, awkward. After all, it takes a lot to maintain a temple. I can almost picture the scene. You had probably a junior warden who spent a lot of time looking at stone colors, Mother Kate. Did we want slate or off slate or gray or cream? There had been a vestry committee to look at the stones. They had to write a lot of uh, uh, foundation requests and a lot of pledge drives. And now this gorgeous temple is all done and ready to be shown to everybody. And imagine how proud they would be to share that with Jesus. And yet he is so unimpressed. I think probably we would not want to invite Jesus to be our keynote speaker at this building centennial just four years from now, in 2026. We'd show Jesus the fine, uh, extraordinary Judd stained glass windows we have around this place that actually took almost 100 years to get them all completed. We'd say, Jesus, aren't these beautiful? We center ourselves so well when we come to worship and we look up at the way the light, the morning light comes through these wonderful windows. Jesus would just look at us and say, well, I want to warn you, they're all going to be cracked and broken and ground to a fine powder. We'd say, Jesus, what about our 
an incredible organ. People come from all over the world, Jesus, to look at this organ. It's very historic, and my apologies to Canon Buonamani, but Jesus would not be impressed. He might say to us, so what? Eventually, he would say, this organ, it will be broken, out of tune, unable to play music whatsoever. He might also give us some pretty judgy looks on our cars, our zip codes, our clothes, our plans to go to Mammoth for the Thanksgiving holiday. In some, Jesus is a little bit of a wet blanket in this reading. And when Mother Kate asked me to preach today, she, she warned me and said, I'm going to just tell you, this is a really, really tough piece of scripture. And it's tough because it lets us know how disconnected our lives are in 2022 from that of truly being disciples of Christ. In biblical times, pride was taken in the care and maintenance of the temple. The temple was the center of religious, economic, political, cultural, social life. They didn't have Insta and Facebook and Twitter and uh, DoorDash and Instacart and 400 channels to watch on TV. If you were bored at home, you went down the street to the temple. It's where you get your groceries, where you get a cup of coffee, catch up with friends. It's also a place where you might suss out political disagreements in the community. And absolutely no question about it, it was nominally grounded in one's faith, but the faith was supposed to be one thread stitched through the temple. It was not supposed to be the predominant framing for the temple. Those of us who know our scripture know this was an endless frustration on the part of Jesus. You think about when he goes into the temple and uh, knocks over all the chairs and gets so angry with everybody because they're treating the temple as if it's more of a coffee club than a place of worship. This piece of scripture reminds us that one of the greatest challenges <clears throat> that Jesus is trying to convince us of, of is that we are not going to find peace in this world. That's, I have to say, I was trying to figure out a way, Father John, to reframe that when I was going to be talking with all of my wonderful students here. But <clears throat> that, excuse me, that is what Jesus is saying. It's not a very comforting idea that we aren't supposed to try and find peace in the world until we realize there's a wonderful asterisk there. All Jesus is saying to us is, you won't find peace without, but you might find it somewhere else. Where do you think you might find the peace if it's not without Nala? Where might it be? Within. Within. That's right, you've got a seminarian over here, Mother Kate. Within. That's very good, Nala. And that's really what Jesus was saying there in the temple with the stones, that yes, the stained glass is terrific. Yes, the, the off-cream stones are wonderful, but that's not actually getting you closer to that relationship with God. You know, Luke was a little bit, forgive me those of you who are devout Luke fans, Luke was a little bit like uh, St. Paul's sidekick. They were kind of the original Batman and Robin, 
In fact, Mother Kate, as I recall, uh, it was Luke who was behind, uh, next to St. Paul on his deathbed there in Rome, if I remember correctly. Both of them have taken on this baton from the early disciples. They're trying to stitch together a church under the ire of the Roman Empire in a time when Christians were hounded, martyred, treated terribly. It was very unsafe to be a Christian. So this piece of scripture is a promise to those Christians who have absolutely no opportunity for peace in the world that there would be an extraordinary peace waiting for them in the promised land. But Luke is saying more than just that. He's not just promising heaven to those who patiently wait while they bravely and courageously follow Christ. He's saying, much what Nala just said a moment ago, that we need to focus on unlocking that inner peace within us. St. Paul referred to it as that light that was within us. And if we can find a way to unlock that light deep within us, we'll find that warmth, that connection to God, a ballast, a compass, for a much clearer sense of who we are, and an appreciation that we are not of this world, we are merely walking through it. At the school, one of the songs we most love to sing, you can join in if you remember this, folks. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Come on, folks, you know this song, don't be shy. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. So how do we meet Paul's challenge for turning up that light within each of us? How do we balance Luke's cautionary reminder that as followers of Christ, we really should be hewing a much rockier path? And how do we balance that truth with our human need for tribe and for comfort and for security? These are the tough issues we have to wrestle with. It's a lot to wrestle with, but I think we can begin the process by looking at, well, what is really feasible and reasonable for us to start doing in our busy lives? And perhaps that is just starting to find time each day to think about that light within. What nurtures that light for us? What grows it? I think everyone in here can think back to a time when they were called to their faith. Now, I happen to be a fifth-generation Episcopalian, the brother of an Episcopal priest, grandson of two senior wardens. None of those are the reasons why I'm an Episcopalian. I'm an Episcopalian because when I was in college many decades ago and called out to God in need of God's love and support, God answered. I can't explain it, but I felt it and he was there. All of us have those moments where we know God has been there for us, has reached out and let us know it would be all right. And if we can remember those moments, that light within us can be stoked, the flames of joy and service and empathy and a peace that passeth 
all understanding will roar within us and we can go further and serve the Lord. As I close, I think about another stanza of that song from my time in Episcopal boarding camp many decades ago. There's a peace that passeth understanding deep in my heart. Deep in my heart, deep in my heart. There's a peace that passeth understanding deep in my heart. Deep in my heart today. God bless you.